And thank you so much for being here today. We don't take that for granted. I guess this is kind of a holiday weekend, is it? Is this when people celebrate the 4th? So it's good to see you today. I want you to take your Bible and locate the book of Galatians, if you would. Galatians chapter 6. We will look there. Get this set up for me. We've been in Galatians 6 for weeks, and I told Daniel a couple of weeks ago, I'm one of the few pastors that can take a section of Scripture and make a series out of it. I don't say that in a a proud way, but in an apologetic way. But I do preach the Bible. There's so much, so much good and helpful things here. I want to come to another place on this idea of the law that makes us or breaks us. And this is the law of sowing and reaping, the law of the harvest. That what you sow, you're going to reap, for good or bad. It will make you or it will break you. And let's be honest, it has broken all of us. You know, we don't break the law of God as much as it breaks us. Oh, we break it, but it breaks us. But God is also gracious to us where that He has taught us here in this section of Scripture that we also have the opportunity to sow good seed. Now, that's in a metaphoric sense. He uses an agricultural cultural metaphor uh, of a farm. And that when you sow seed, there's a time element that that seed is going to grow up and come to fruition. And we can sow good seeds in our own lives, the lives of others. Sometimes they're habits. Sometimes it's the gospel. Sometimes they're good deeds. They're all types of seed that you can sow. This coming week, our our folks will be going to Alaska uh, Paul and I have been there with some friends from our church. And they'll be going there in a very beautiful part of the country, but they'll be going there as ambassadors from our church. And they will be sowing the seed of the gospel. They'll be sowing uh, some good deeds for other people in order that they may share the gospel. And so this week, unbeknownst to you, you've been sowing seed. Uh, good seed or bad seed, but it always comes back to harvest. I want to begin the service this morning by, by reading a story to you. It's not a long story, and I prefer to tell you the story, but I'm going to read it to you because uh, the way it's written is more effective than I could uh, in, in trying to tell it. So if you would just uh, put your good ears on and just give me about two minutes and let me read this story to you. This is a, one of my favorite stories, especially with the matter of sowing and reaping and exactly what I'm going to preach about. I've told you this before, but it's been a long, long time and uh, just a very interesting story. It's, it's about a lady named Florence Chadwick. Florence Chadwick. Florence Chadwick loved to swim. She was born in San Diego, California in 1918. She grew up on the beach and began competing as a swimmer at the age of six, so in 1924. Her uncle entered her in a contest at the age of 10 
in a two and a half mile rough water night swim. Can you imagine that? It sounds like a Navy SEAL there on San Diego. A lot of sharks out there. In a two and a half hour rough water night swim. Ten years old. She came in fourth. One year later at age 11, Florence Chadwick won first place in a six mile race across the choppy waters at the San Diego Bay Channel. Now, this is not in an age-appropriate race. This is with adults and all, all types of swimmers. At the age of 11, remarkable athlete. For the next 19 years, she continued as a competitive swimmer. And When she was 13, she came in second at the U.S. National Championships. Florence was the first woman to swim across the English Channel both ways. She even swam across the Straits of Gibraltar in 1962. After a career of swimming accomplishments, Chadwick was admitted to the San Diego Hall of Champions and to the Hall of Fame. Now, here's, here's I said all that to get to this part, and this is what I want you to hear, so listen. But it always wasn't easy for her. On July the 4th, 1952, 71 years ago, this, this uh, Tuesday, Chadwick was 34 years old when she attempted to become the first woman to swim the 21 miles across the Catalina Channel from Catalina Island to Palos Verde on the California coast. You know where that is, Frank? I, I, I imagine you would. I don't even know if I'm pronouncing that correctly. The weather that day was challenging because the ocean was ice cold and the fog was so thick she could barely see to the support boats that were surrounding and following her. The tides and the currents were against her and to make matters worse, sharks were in the area. But at daybreak, she did, in fact, they had, they had people traveling with her with rifles that were shooting at the sharks. True story. At daybreak, she decided to go forward anyway, expecting the fog to lift at any time. Hour after hour, she swam, but the fog never lifted. Her mother and her trainer followed in one of the support boats, encouraging her to keep going. While the Americans were watching on television, other members of the support crew fired their rifles at the sharks to drive them away. She kept going and going. At the 15-hour point, swimming for 15 hours, she began to doubt her ability to finish her swim. She told her mother she didn't think she could make it. Unfortunately, at 15 hours and 55 minutes, she had to stop, and with a huge disappointment, she asked her support crew to take her out of the water. Because of the fog, she could not see the coastline, so she had no idea where she was. But she soon found out that she was less than a mile from the coast. She definitely could have reached it if she had just stayed in the water just a little bit longer. Later, she told a reporter, get this, I'm not excusing myself, but if I could have seen the land, I know I could have made it. If I could have seen the land, or if I knew how close I was, I could have made it. The fog had made her unable to see her goal, and it felt 
to her like she was getting absolutely nowhere. Two months later, she tried again. And the fog, again, was just as dense. But this time, she kept going. And this time, her time was 13 hours and 47 minutes, breaking a 27-year-old record by more than two hours and becoming the first woman ever to complete the swim. And later, she did complete the swim to be the first woman that swam the English Channel. Now, I told you that story. That's a very motivating story, but, but the insight there, I, I could not finish because I couldn't see the end. I could not finish because I didn't know how much progress I had put in relative to my effort. I could not finish because I was so tired and I felt like it wasn't worth it. So I read that story uh, this week. I, I thought about Moses in a uh, line there in Hebrews chapter 11 about Moses. And the Bible there says, By faith Moses forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured, he endured as seeing him, that is God, who is invisible. You know, sometimes we hear that Moses left Egypt because he was afraid of, of his stepfather. And so he went on the backsides of the desert. But the Bible here says he forsook Egypt. He wasn't afraid of the king of the Pharaoh. But he endured as seeing him, as seeing God who is invisible. Moses was rewarded because he saw the invisible. Are you with me? Listen, your values and your behavior are not determined by what you see. If they are, you'll quit. Your values and your behavior cannot be determined by, by, by the eye of sight. They must be determined by the eye of faith. And only as you have the eye of faith will you be able to, to be consistent and steady and faithful. Well, I know this is true. I, I failed here so much. I, I'm not a great model in this area. You know, the, the Bible says a lot about consistency and, and just being predictable. Have you, have you ever thought about a clock, that if a clock isn't reliable, it's, it's not any value to you. You go to a hotel room and you've got a flight the next morning. If you're like me, uh, if, if you have a flight the next morning early, you don't sleep well. Because <laughs> you're afraid, man, what if a clock, even if you, even if you have... Uh, their clock, and you have a clock, and you call the desk. You got three things going. You just you're, you're tense. What if I miss this flight? So you can't. At least me. That's me. Maybe you're not like that. But then, when you have a clock and it's just unreliable, then it's it's not of any value. If your computer isn't reliable, its value is depending on your work is greatly diminished, and maybe not not any good at all to you. Because it's not reliable. I was reading and, and doing some research about reliability, and I read about a, a true story about a Christian man, and he was a carpenter. And uh, he was working with a, another man, and they were working on government projects. And his friend, he said when they would finish a project, 
that his friend would say, well, that's good enough for government work. They would finish doing the work. That's good enough for government work. And he said, the Christian man fought. He said, well, the government didn't do the work. You and I did the work. And I thought, wow, that's a great response. You know, everything that I do and everything that you do, we leave our signature on it. So when I teach in our life group this morning, or you come on Wednesday night and there's not as many people in there, I prepare just as much, I'm just as diligent for that because of my signatures on it. I want to do my best. My, my wife and I, we were having this conversation. To be predictable, to be steadfast, and you want to sow the seeds in a steadfast way. And it's so difficult. I'm going to show you that in a moment. Lifeway Research did some study. And they determined that a majority of churchgoers considered someone to be, listen to this, considered someone to be a regular church attender. Now, this was a, a very thorough survey poll. Someone is a regular church attender if they attend church twice a month. Then they're regular or they're faithful if you come twice a month. Can, can you imagine a workforce operating on that type of consistency? Now, some of you can. We're kind of there now, aren't we? You know, I mean, you go to some restaurants and, and you look at the pay for entry-level jobs. To make French fries, we'll pay you $30,000. Now, the ethics of that aren't bad. It's just that there's not a whole lot more to go. What are you going to pay the managers? It's, it's not rewarding the right things. I have friends that are owners of businesses, and, and they're washing dishes. They're not too good for it, but they need to be tending to other things for, for their business because... People come, and they quit three days in because they're not committed. And that same mentality is, is in the church, not just in attendance, but, but in serving. You know, I've kind of done my time, and so we don't, we don't sow seed consistently. Tom Rayner, who, who was a pastor, and then he gave his life to to helping pastors, and he does a lot of research. Here's what he said, and, and this is based on his research. This, this is a fascinating insight, that if a church runs, averages 100 people, and you have to put your thinking cap on, okay? If a church averages 100 people, they have to add 32 people a year to stay even. Not to grow, just to stay even. Because they lose 32 people a year. And he broke it down. He said, on average, one person dies, nine move away, seven transfer to other churches, and then 15 just decline attending. They stop attending. And that's 32 if you do the math there. I remember I read that and I just stopped and I just thought, wow, 
you're, you're not even into church growth anymore. You're into church maintenance. Now, I want to tell you that just real quickly that our belief here is, is we're into church health. Healthy things grow. We're building, an, we're building an army. We're not building a crowd. You can build a crowd and get short term and, and do some things just to get people to come. But there's, there's, there's something to this. There's something here that, that reveals that, that there, there's a lack of consistency and steadfastness. It's a lack of character. But there's incredible value for people that will, that will persevere. Are, are you consistent? Is there predictability about you? I want you to look in the text, and we see it. I want to preach about it from a verse this morning. In Galatians chapter 6 and verse 7, Be not deceived, God is not mocked. Whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. For he that soweth to his flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption. But he that soweth to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. And here, here it is. And let us not be weary in well-doing. For in due season we shall reap if we faint not. As we have therefore opportunity, let us do good unto all men. This is a good verse for you folks that are going this week. Look for your opportunities. Do good unto all men. Sow, sow the seed, especially unto them who are the household of faith. You want to reach lost people, but find the believers there. Invest in them. Encourage. They're going to be there when you leave. Encourage them. Strengthen them. Bless them. I've given you some principles. Number one, you cannot ignore God's principles. Verse 7, Whatsoever man sows, that shall he also reap, good or bad. It's a universal law that God has stamped in His creation. I'm going to reap what I sow. You're going to reap what you sow. And if you don't like where you're at, you, you need to change what you're sowing. Uh, we're reading a, a book on habits right now, Paula and I together and, and growing from it. Robert Louis Stevenson said this, Sooner or later, everyone sits down to a banquet of consequences. That's a powerful statement. Sooner or later, everyone sits down to a banquet of consequences. We cannot ignore God's principles. Number two, we get to choose the harvest we want. He talks there in verse 8 about sowing to the flesh, which brings corruption, or sowing to the Spirit, which, which brings life everlasting. And, and the idea is this, is you're going to either uh, sow to things that don't count, they're going to die, Watching the news, it's not wrong, but are you going to be a newsy? Where all you know is what's going on with the administration and all the problems. I was talking to a man recently, he's not in our church, you don't know who he is. and He told me, he said, my father watches the news all the time. And he said, he, he's embittered in his soul at the way things are going. He complains all the time. He says it's hard to have a conversation with him. He's so negative. Now, usually you would say, well, that's not sowing to the flesh. It's not? Well, what is it then? It's corrupt. It just it, There's no benefit. That's why Ephesians 4 talks about corrupt conversation. 
You know, there's only two things that are eternal that you can touch. This and people. Period. That's it. The only things that you can invest in that are eternal are the Word of God and the work of God and people. That's it. And that doesn't mean you shouldn't go on vacation with your family, but then you're with your family. You're investing in something that's precious. That's a, that's a value. And yet, what gets put on the shelf is the Word of God, the work of God, and our investing in people. You get to choose the harvest you want. And then number three, and this is what I want to give to you this morning, we must understand that reaping has a season. Reaping has a season. Let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap. You're not going to reap as soon as you sow. There's a season. You have to be patient. A loss of perspective means a lost harvest. You have to have a perspective. Those who persevere will reap. Now let's talk about this for a few minutes. The season of reaping. Let us not be weary in well-doing. This is a great verse to memorize. For in due season we shall reap if if we faint not. Have you ever felt like, God, I'm doing what you told me to do. I'm in your will. And nothing's turning out right. The seed I'm sowing is not harvesting. It's not coming to pass. I'm trying to witness. I'm sowing seed in my children and my grandchildren. I'm sowing seed in my marriage. I'm sowing financial seed. I'm tithing. I'm obeying. I'm sowing seeds of obedience. I'm not seeing the results. Be not weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. God's faithfulness will not permit him to forget your name because he is righteous. His character is righteous. And because he is righteous, because he is holy, and he has promised to uphold his word in Galatians 6, 9 and other places, he, he, he will not forget. People forget. I forget. I tell people I'll do things and I forget. God will not forget. He's righteous. And there is a season. And his season is always best. In his time is the best time. There's a scripture that I love very much in Hebrews chapter 6 and verse 10. The Bible says, God is not unrighteous to forget your work and labor of love which ye have showed toward His name, and that ye have ministered to the saints. That's what you have done, and you're, you're still ministering. God won't forget. He won't forget your labor. Here's the question, is it a labor of love? And are you doing this for His name? Now, if you're doing this for your glory, and it's not for the name of Jesus, and you're grumpy about it, you're not doing this for God. You're doing this for yourself. It's dutiful obedience. It's not joyful obedience. It's not a labor of love. 
But when you do these things for Christ, and it's a privilege, the Bible says He is not unrighteous to forget. He will not forget you. And I don't think this just means at the judgment seat of Christ. I think that He will He will honor you now. When Nehemiah was rebuilding the wall there, it, it was a monumental task. It was very difficult. It was arduous. And he was opposed from the community and the people he was working with. Man, they, they began to have trouble and complain. And, and he was discouraged as a leader. Listen, those of you that are leaders, and, and we have a number of leaders here in business, you understand this, that, that leaders have special temptations. They have special trials that other people don't know until they get to that place. And then they look back, well, if I only knew, I wouldn't have done this. Well, it's kind of too late because the trouble you caused, if you would have known, you wouldn't have said that. Or you, It's too late. But there are a lot of trouble, man. And three times in the book of Nehemiah, he prayed the same prayer. You know what he said? Let me just show you one. Nehemiah chapter 5 and verse 19. Think upon me, my God, for good according to all that I have done for this people. And it's recorded in sacred scripture for us. God, for all that I have done, would you think upon me for good? It wasn't a prayer of frustration. It was a prayer of sincerity. What a simple prayer. Have you ever said that? Have you ever said that about your ministry? Have you ever said that about your work? Have you ever said that about your family? God, think, think upon me for good. There's nothing wrong with that prayer. And the Bible says there in, in, in Galatians 6, 9, Let us not be weary in well-doing. For in due season we shall reap. We will reap if we faint not. Stay at it. It's foggy. You can't see. Looks like you're not going to make it. The sharks are around you. You're tired. Uh, just bring me in the boat. Then you get in and the fog clears. Oh, man, I was so close. Stay at it. In Matthew chapter 10 and verse 42, there's an interesting verse. I love this verse. Jesus said this. Jesus said, Whosoever shall give to drink unto one of these little ones a cup of cold water only in the name of a disciple, verily I say unto you, he shall in no wise lose his reward. In other words, I'm doing this because you belong to Jesus. A couple of things I want to point out here. Number one is give to drink. It's just it's just a drink of water. A cup of water. And secondly, just one person. Give to drink unto one of these little ones. He doesn't just mean a child. He's, he's saying unto a child of God. And, and by the way, this doesn't, I think it literally means drink of water, but sometimes it's the idea of refreshment. Can you not be a refresher? Onesiphorus, read about him sometimes. Be a refresher. And then the Bible says that it was a cup of cold water. And cold water was not easy to get back then, it was an effort. Whoever, Jesus takes notice of people that go the second mile to meet the needs of one person. 
And you say, well, I, I've been doing that and, and I, I, it's not working. Oh, no, no, no. Be not weary in well-doing. You shall reap if you won't faint. What keeps us from finishing is we become weary. The word weary in verse 9 means to be weak and discouraged. And it, and it has to do not with the weariness of the body. It can include that, but it's the weariness of the soul. And because of that, it's discouragement. It's used to farmers who begin to slacken their work because they're not seeing the results in the harvest. This is not working. There's no rain. I've worked so hard. We've sowed all this seed. We've, we've done all this. This is not working. I've given my life for this. Now people, buy, they extend credit to buy all of this seed to put out. And then, honey, we're, we're going to go bankrupt. You read about it, and the farmers are getting far and far fewer. And they become weary. He, this is so important. This warning is repeated in Second Thessalonians 3 and verse 13. But ye brethren, be not weary in well-doing. It's easy to become weary. You ever become weary? I was talking to a man, a very good man, a better man than I am. And I asked him one time, I thought, well, he's been in ministry longer than I have. And I asked him um, about discouragement and depression. I had been through it. I was out of it. But I wanted to ask him, I said, how, how did you handle that? And he said, well, I, uh, I, I don't want Do you pray? We were at a table eating. I wanted to take my water and just throw it in his face. Did I pray? Now, I don't mean to be self-righteous. If, if I hadn't been praying, the only thing that kept me sane was my spiritual disciplines. And, and I began to shut down. I, I began to say, you know, I'm not going to open my heart any, any further because he's, he's simplifying something complex. Maybe maybe he's he's honest. Maybe he's just telling me the truth, and he 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 doesn't have the capacity to know whereof I'm speaking. So I, I but apparently Paul knew about it in Second Corinthians one and verse eight. Paul said, "I wearied of life." He talks here in Second Thessalonians and Galatians six. He said, "Don't become weary in heart." Don't become discouraged because it's easy because of the fog. Weariness leads to fainting. Be not weary in well-doing. For in due season we shall reap if we faint not. Are you weary today? You're on the precipice of fainting. Now, fainting doesn't mean you, you pass out. By the way, men pass out and women faint. The word faint means to relax. It means to release. That's what the word means. It means to loosen. And here's, here's the idea. You loosen your hand from the task. You're, 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 not, you're not holding on to what God has called you to do. And you just relax. 
I'm not good at this anymore. I'll just kind of go through the motions. This is not working anymore. I'm not, this is not effective anymore. God has a word for you as a witness. He has a word for you as a Christian. Be not weary in well-doing because when you get weary, you faint at some point and you begin to stop it. Even if you don't quit your position, you stop doing the things that made you effective. You're not studying as hard. Well, I only have two people that show up. I remember I was in a pastor's conference uh, many years ago and and one of the keynote speakers said this he said he told the pastor he said listen you don't you don't you don't get big as a church and start doing things right you start doing things right and then you grow i don't necessarily think that's the way you grow but i agree with him well once we get once we get a lot of people we'll we'll do this no 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 you clean the bathrooms and you have excellence on the front. You, you do things right now. You have a good restaurant and, and you have good, good food now. You serve four, well, as much as 400. It's inexcusable. But what happens, yeah, but a whole lot of effort went into that. But God, God is watching us. How do you treat one that wants a drink of water? Well, well, I'll bring cold water if there's a hundred, but not for one. God says, I will reward you. I will honor you. One quality that you're going to need to practice this law is patience. The word patience in the Bible means endurance. It just doesn't mean to sit around and wait. It It means to endure through hardship. Farmers understand this. They have to wait on the harvest. Sure, they go out and check it, but there's some things that only God can do. He can only bring the rain. He can only bring the sunshine, the good days. He can only keep certain um, types of of, uh, insects away. I mean, God has a big factor in this. James chapter 5 and verse 7, the Bible says, Be patient, therefore, brethren, unto the coming of the Lord. Behold the husbandman. Now that's someone that tills the vine, someone that is a gardener, someone that farms. Now look at the next word, waiteth. I don't like to wait, do you? Man, I want it right now. I want it right now. But you know what? You know what? That is, that's a sign of immaturity. That's the way kids are. They see Christmas, they're giving, can I open it right now? No, it's not Christmas, because an adult is able to wait, but children are immature. Well, you know what we are? We're just kids. Lord, I want it right now. I'm going to pout if you don't give me what I want. The husbandman waiteth for, and look at the precious fruit of the earth. This is valuable. What you're waiting on is worth waiting for. To see your neighbor saved, to see your family saved. For whatever you're investing in is precious. Be not weary in well-doing. You will reap if you don't faint. Due season. And he has long patience. Did you know that God is doing a work in you, not just for you? He's trying to cultivate Christ's character in you. He wants to give you patience. 
Do you know what the first expression of love is in 1 Corinthians 13, 4? Charity is long-suffering. Some of you aren't loving because you're impatient. You know what the opposite of patience is? It's anger. Angry people are not loving people. because they. And whenever you're angry, typically it's because something isn't happening on your, happening on your schedule. And hath long patience for it until he receive, until, until God brings, does something only he can do, the early and the latter rain. I thought about this in 1 Corinthians 3, 6, and 7. When Paul said, I planted Apollos water, but God gave the increase. We did what we could, but God gave the increase. So then neither is he that planteth anything, neither... He that watereth, but God gives the increase. So watch this. Be not weary in well-doing. You know why we get weary hearts? You know why some of you are weary today? Because you want everything on your timetable. And so do I. But the Bible says, the husbandman waiteth, and he has long patience. God's trying to teach me to love people. He's trying to teach me to love God and and to be like the Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible says in 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 8, Beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing, that one day is with the Lord as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. Heaven's perspective is different than mine. God, God will wait. God's willing to wait because He wants to do a work in you. Listen to this quote. With every deed... You are sowing a seed, though the harvest you may not see. With every deed you are sowing a seed, though the harvest you may not see, even in your lifetime. That's up to God. Ecclesiastes chapter 3 and verse 1 says, And to everything there is a season. There's an appointed occasion. There's a time frame. And a time to every purpose under the heaven. There's an appointment that God has. God has a fixed season within His purposes. God has it there. But you you can't become weary and then faint and just relax and say, I, I, I can't do this. I, I give up my class. I can't I can't work in that ministry anymore. I'm discouraged. I'm going to stop witnessing to them. I'm going to stop investing in my children. I'm going to stop loving them. Someone said it's okay to be weary in the work, but don't get weary of the work. And here, here's the problem. Now listen carefully. Paul often talked in the Bible about a labor of love. A labor of love. But... Love will prompt me to labor, but my labor will not produce love. A labor of love is different than just laboring. Well, sign me up. The person that's in it for the long haul is there because of love. Now, let me give you this, this one idea, and then we'll finish today. 
Patience is crucial in your walk with God. It's crucial in your walk with God. You're never going to be what God wants you to be and enjoy who you are as a child of God if you're not patient. Would you look at Hebrews chapter 12? You may want to underline some words here in Hebrews chapter 12. The Bible there says, verse 1, Hebrews 12, 1, Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, these are all of those saints in chapter 11. He says, I want you to think about all these people in chapter 11. Let us lay aside every weight, because they're about to run a race. You don't run a race with the weights. They encumber you. And the sin which does so easily beset us. The word beset means to surround you. Warren Wiersbe says that that sin for Israel was probably the sin of unbelief. And let us, look at this, run with patience the race that is run before us. God has a race He wants you to run. He's using a picture that you're running a race. And the race that you're running is not a sprint. Because then you you just you, you don't need patience. You, you just bang, 100-yard dash, 100 meters. But when you're running half a marathon, or you're running a marathon... Or for me, my category, I'm a 10K man myself. Oh, God, don't judge them, please, with the laughter. Um, The word patience there means endurance, and it means to endure with hope and cheer. And, And this endurance, it helps me to persevere. In Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 36, the Bible says you have... Need a patience that after you have done the will of God, you might receive the promise. You're not going to receive the promise if you don't have patience. Let us run with patience. I was studying this passage many years ago, and because uh, I did, I did do a 10K. I really did, and I ran the first K. I ate my K's that morning, but only I didn't eat enough. But so I went out with Matt Moody. Matt has run uh, some marathons. And I said, tell me about running marathons. It's 26 miles, right, Matt? Yeah. And Matt told me that usually, you know, 20 miles, 23 miles, around there towards the end of the race, that there, there is, and this is the verbiage that you, you hit a wall. You don't hit a literal wall. But the wall is in your mind. And, and here, here's, you start talking to yourself, why am I doing this? Now, by the way, this is why I don't run marathons. I don't, wanna, I don't want the wall. But, amen? Yes. Yes, I'm preaching. This is gospel preaching. But you hit the wall. You say, why am I doing this? I'm not going to make it. My body hurts. I'm going to quit. And you you have to push through that wall. But they tell you. And after you get, after you, but you get through that wall, and then you get your, your second wind, and you're able to finish. 
And my daughter Ashley has run some marathons and and some half marathons and so forth. And I think Jordan has, and I don't know if any of my kids have. They're sick. And uh, and I asked them that. I said, "Now here's what here's what Mr. Moody told me. Did this did this happen to you?" And to a person, they said, "Yes." When you get there, you say, what in the world? I'm not going to finish. Let us run with patience the race that God has put you. He's given you an assignment. And I'm going to tell you, you're going to hit a wall. What am I doing this for? Nobody cares. Elijah did that, didn't he? He was a good man. Job did that. Paul did that. You're no better than them. You're going to hit a wall. Listen. Let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. Just just know that it's there, and just the, the, the strength of God, the power of God will help you get through that. Let me point out one other insight here. Let us run rations, uh, rations, I'm hurrying, with patience, the race that is set before the race that is set before us. That has the idea of the course. Each course is different. Your course is different than my course. Debbie and Eric had had run a course with her cancer that was very difficult. Uh, I haven't run that course yet. And then they they ran some other difficult courses. It's tough. Some of you have have, have run some courses. And, And look, pain is pain. All right? I'm not one to say, well, hey... You don't need to complain. Compare. Look, pain is pain. It doesn't help you to compare with others. But you have a course. You're, you're going to hit the wall. But don't be weary in well-doing. Keep sowing seed. God is for you. He's not against you. Keep showing up. Learn to play hurt. God will, God will provide for you. He will help you. Verse 2, looking unto Jesus, the author of our faith. I didn't read it right, did I? He didn't just initiate our faith. He finished it. Jesus hit a wall. Who for the joy that was set before him endured. By the way, the word endured is all through Hebrews 12. Endured the cross. Remember what he said on the cross? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The night before he was crucified in the Garden of Gethsemane, the Bible talks about the pressing in his spirit that he had. He endured the cross, despising the shame, and he sat down. God exalted him because of his patient Endurance. Oh, church, stay at it. Stay at it. For consider him, the Lord Jesus, that endured such contradiction of sinners, of people that crucified him and mocked him, lest, if you don't consider him, you be wearied and faint in your minds. Because that's where the battle is. It's in your mind. 
That's why Galatians chapter 6 and verse 9 is, Let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. The weariness is in your mind. Wearied and faint. There it is. Both words in Galatians 6 9. It's in your mind. You quit in your mind before you turn in your resignation. You're weary in your mind before you're weary in your body. You don't consider your goal. You don't consider your strength. A lot of these self-help books, oh, they, they may help in areas, but I'm telling you, there's coming a time when you need Jesus. Consider Him. He knows what you, you endure with the strength of God. Adam Clark said about this verse about running the race with patience. This is an illusion or a reference to those that were contending in the Grecian games when they were exhausted in bodily strength and courage that they yielded a palm. They raced with a little palm in their hands and they had to yield the palm to their opponent because they were exhausted and they said they were weary, disheartened, exhausted, and they'd lost all bravery and courage. It's our equivalent of throwing in the towel. Here's my palm. I can't continue. And a lot of times we do that a long time before we, we do it officially. Be not weary in well-doing. Well-doing, we'll look at this word in a couple of weeks. We... Well-doing encompasses a lot of things. And a lot of times we're weary even though we're well-doing. But then we come to the place of faint. We begin to relax. I can't do it anymore. It's not worth staying with my I give up. I give up investing in her and him. The marriage is over. I give up trying to connect my parents. I give up. I hope you'll memorize Galatians 6, 9 this week. I hope if you're, if you're weary that you'll consider Him. And I hope if you're fainting, you've already relaxed, that you'll ask God for His touch and His strength. To bow your heads with me, would you? Those who...